Easter weekend, my favorite weekend of the year, hands down, even though I got to get up a little bit early on Sunday morning, that's, uh, that's okay. Uh, but I love this weekend. And we're going to talk about the resurrection today, but we're going to kind of back into it uh, and start out by looking at this concept of the Passover feast. Uh, the Passover feast was the most important holiday in the Jewish calendar year. It was the time that they looked back to what they considered to be the most important event in their history. It was the, the event that defined them as a people. Uh, and it all revolved around, you know, being slaves in Egypt and Moses and Pharaoh and the plagues and the Red Sea and the Ten Commandments, all of that stuff. Um, if you are interested in learning more about that event, because that, the more you understand about the Passover, the more you'll understand about the Lord's Supper or communion that we just shared together in, the more you'll understand what Jesus did and why what he did, uh, why what he did did what it did for us, if that makes sense. Uh, but if you're curious about the Passover, you can go home, you can download uh, on iTunes the old Ten Commandments movie with Charlton Heston. It's like almost five hours long. Uh, if you don't have that kind of time or that kind of patience, that kind of you know, attention span, you can uh, download the animated version, Prince of Egypt, uh, which is uh, shorter. It's uh, a little easier to consume, I guess you could say. But they still do a really good job in just under two hours of giving you the story. Now, we don't even have time for that today. And so what I want to do to just kind of give you the idea of Passover, what, the, what it was that they were celebrating, I want to show you what the trailer that they used when they were releasing the Prince of Egypt to kind of give you an idea of what it's all about. Let's watch this. In a world of power and mystery, A child is discovered by a queen. Come, Ramesses. We will show Pharaoh your new baby brother. Moses. And raised in the family of a mighty dynasty. Second born! Second place! Not for long! They were the sons of a king. One was born to rule. I bear the weight of my father's crown. The other was chosen to lead. You are not a prince of Egypt. What did you say? Ask the man that you call father. Can't stay here any longer. Moses! No! All I've ever known to be true is a lie. Let go of your contempt for life before it destroys everything you hold dear. I will not be the weak link. Soldier! They're coming! There shall be a great cry in all of Egypt, such as never has been or ever will be again. So that's kind of 
That's the gist, right? And you can see why they would look back to that moment and think, wow, so much happened in such a short amount of time. And like I said, they traced their identity as a people back to that one moment in time. And God told them way back then, this is something I want you to remember to celebrate every single year. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 14, he says, this is a day to remember. Each year, from generation to generation, you must celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. This is a law for all time. Now, it's really fascinating. If you study the, the calendar year of the Jewish people, there were 13 festival days. And not just days, but some of them lasted for weeks. And so if you were a Jewish person in the first century, you were always either preparing to celebrate a feast, celebrating a feast, or recovering from celebrating a feast. And that didn't take into account birthdays, anniversaries, personal days, and family days, things like that. God was, was, it was so important to him that his people celebrate and remember. Now during his time on earth, Jesus fulfilled, as well as celebrated, all 13 of those feast days except for one. Well, except for two. The, the Feast of Pentecost, he was gone back to heaven. Uh, that one was fulfilled 50 days after, uh, after Easter. Uh, but there was one other that Jesus has not fulfilled yet. We'll get to that one at the end of the lesson. But this one here, Passover, it was the one that not only did he, he would have celebrated this one every year of his life for the 33 years that he was on this earth. And it was the last festival that he celebrated. It was the one that he celebrated the last week, the last days of his life. And not only celebrated, but fulfilled. Um, and in order to understand the Passover, you've got to follow, you've got to follow the lamb, the Passover lamb. If you're, you know, if you just watch the movie, right? You watch the Ten Commandments, you watch uh, the Prince of Egypt, whatever, or even just read the story, you'll be tempted to think that Moses is the star of this story. And it, you can understand why. I mean, the, the things that he does or that God does through him are just absolutely amazing. I love the story about the little kid that goes to Sunday school class and he comes out and his mom says, so what'd you learn in Sunday school today? And he says, oh, we learned about this guy named Moses. And she says, oh, really? Well, what'd you learn? He says, oh, well, it was amazing. He says, Moses was like this, this special forces commando guy. And he got deep in behind enemy lines. And he, he got all of the, the, the slaves together. And he was getting them out of Egypt. And while they were going, though, the Pharaoh, he figured out what was going on. So he'd send his army to catch them. Meanwhile, Moses and, and people from Israel, they hit the Red Sea. And they think there's no way across. So Moses, he calls in the Corps of Engineers, and he has them build a pontoon bridge across the Red Sea. Meanwhile, Pharaoh's people, his army is coming up behind the Israelites. They think they're going to be slaughtered. So Moses calls in the Blackhawks, and they come in and they lay down suppressing fire, and they keep the Egyptians from getting at the Israelites. And by that time, the pontoon bridge is ready. So all the Israelites, they cross over the Red Sea on the pontoon bridge, and when they're all over, then Moses recalls the Blackhawk helicopters. 
So Pharaoh's army, they think they're going to go across the same pontoon bridge that the Israelites did. But see, the Corps of Engineers, they booby-trapped it. They set all these explosives. And so while the, uh, the army of Pharaoh's in the middle of the bridge, it blows up and Pharaoh loses all of his soldiers. And his mom says, is that really what your Sunday school teacher told you? And he said, well, no, but if I told you what she said, you'd never believe me. <laughs> and it's true. It's, it's, it's an unbelievable story. And I love how they say on there, the greatest adventure of all time. It was the greatest story that had ever been told until Jesus comes along. And then he one-ups, well, just like he does with everybody. He doesn't, he doesn't take great pleasure in it. It's not like he shows it, like, you know, I'm better than you or anything like that. He's the most humble person that ever lived. But, but he, well, he's the fulfillment of all of those feasts, all of those holidays looking back to the, the greatest moments of the people of Israel's history. And so we're going to, as we go back and try to understand more about the Passover by following the Passover lamb through this whole story, we're going to also, as we do that, watch Jesus, who is the Passover lamb, who would come and would be the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. Because the way that he goes through that last week of his life in the Passover week and fulfills Every single one of those, those things, those, those parts of the Passover is absolutely uncanny. And, well, he explains it in the Last Supper. Um, the Last Supper is, it takes place the night before he dies. I used to think that it was just, you know, they called it the Last Supper because it was the last time he ate with his friends and that they didn't have anything else to eat. And so based on the fact that now our communion service is based on the Last Supper, I figured what they ate must have been little cups of grape juice and stale crackers, right? That's what I thought. But it, Jesus instituted that, that Last Supper, or he held that Last Supper, in the context of a Passover feast. And in Luke chapter 16, verse 18, he says, You have no idea how much I've looked forward to eating this Passover meal with you before I enter my time of suffering. And then he explains to them how he's going to fulfill what the original Passover pointed towards. His followers didn't get it until later. And now we can look back and say, whoa, look at, look at everything that happened. It's, how, how did he do that? It's like, I don't know if you've ever seen a magician, really good magicians, will come and they will just, you know, you won't think that they are manipulating you to do anything in particular. But by the time you're done, you will have done everything they wanted you to do and you'll be blown away. How did you do that? How did you get me to get to that point? And the good magicians, they never reveal their secrets, right? It's almost like that's what's going on with Jesus. It's like you're watching, you're like, whoa, 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 how'd you do that? And it's, it's uncanny. So let's watch the lamb, the Passover lamb, as we go through the three steps of the Passover, and then watch the Passover lamb as he goes through that, that week, fulfilling everything that that old feast was pointing forwards to. All right, so three steps of the Passover. The first step is to select your lamb. In the first century, this was, like I said, their biggest holiday of the year. It was like Independence Day, uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas all rolled up into one. It, they looked forward to this all year long. And you know how we, uh, as Americans, I mean, unless you've got a, 
a fake tree and then you just pull it out from underneath your house or whatever now. But when I was growing up, one of my favorite days of the year was when we would go out to pick our Christmas tree. They had a similar tradition in first century Israel. It was called Lamb Selection Day. And, uh, well, look at what the Bible says in Exodus chapter 12, verses 3 through 5. God says, On the tenth day of this month, each family must choose a lamb for a sacrifice. This animal must be a one-year-old male with no physical defects. They called that day, the tenth of Nisan, they called it Lamb Selection Day. And just like with Christmas, you know, the 25th of December, it's not always on the same day of the week. You know, sometimes it's Monday, sometimes, you know, it just depends. And then you got leap year and that throws everything off. The same thing was true with the Jewish calendar. And so the 10th of Nisan, it sometimes, you know, Monday, sometimes Tuesday. Well, on the 33rd year of Jesus' life, 33 AD, I guess you could say, the 10th of Nisan fell on a Sunday. <coughs> Lamb Selection Day that year was on a Sunday. <coughs> New Testament writers now look back at that and they call that day in the last year of Jesus' life, they call that Palm Sunday or the triumphal entry. Uh, Jesus coming down from the Mount of Olives. Luke describes it this way in Luke 19, verse 37. It says, as he was coming close to Jerusalem, on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of followers began joyfully shouting praise to God for all the miracles they had seen. They said, God bless the king who comes in the name of the Lord. There is peace in heaven and glory to God. Now, that phrase that they said, God bless the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. Glory to God. It looks to me like just something religious people said, right? You know, it's like, is, it, is there any purpose? Is there any deeper meaning behind those words? And the answer is yes. Uh, it's a quote from Psalm 118. And the people of Israel had songs that were part of their national consciousness. Everybody knew them. They were songs that looked forward to when the Messiah would come and redeem Israel again, right? The Passover lamb and Moses had redeemed them once from slavery. Now here they were under Roman rule. They were looking forward to the day that the Messiah would return and redeem them once again. And they had all these songs that they would sing about that day. Uh, and everybody knew them, kind of like we all know Christmas songs, right? If I start the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, everybody, at least most of us, are thinking, oh, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild. It's like we can fill in the rest of that song. We could sing that song probably without opening the books. And you might not know all the words, but you'd know most of them. Or Jingle Bells, or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, whatever. There are certain songs that are part of our national consciousness. Same thing with these, they call them messianic songs. Songs about the Messiah who would come and redeem Israel once more. And so this song here, when they sing it, what they are saying to Jesus as he rides down the Mount of Olives towards Jerusalem is, we believe you are our new king. We believe you are the one who is going to come. You're the Messiah. And it makes sense because the first century, the rabbis believed that when the Messiah came, it would probably be on Lamb's selection Day, the 10th of Nisan. As a matter of fact, what the priests would do is they would leave the front door of the temple in Jerusalem opened on that day so that when the Messiah did come, they'd be like, we're all ready for you. You know, welcome. We want you here. 
So Jesus on that day is coming down the Mount of Olives. They're all singing these, these messianic songs to him. And what's going on is on Lamb Selection Day, the nation of Israel, they didn't really understand what they were doing. But what's going on behind the scenes is they are selecting their perfect Passover lamb. That would be the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And that's the first step. You, you choose your lamb. You select your lamb. Second step of the Passover is to sacrifice your lamb. In Exodus 12, verse 6, the Bible says, Take care of the animals until the evening of the 14th day. On that day, all the people of the community of Israel will kill them in the evening before dark. And so you would take care of these animals uh, until it was time for Passover. Now, if you're like looking at this and you're counting out the numbers, it's like 10th of Nisan, 14th of Nisan. Let's see, Jesus came in on Sunday, Friday night he died. How do those numbers add up? Uh, go home and Google it, okay? I could bring up charts and show you. It's, it gets so convoluted and confusing because of the way that we in 21st century America count days is from midnight to midnight. The Jews in the southern part of Israel, where Jesus is at this point in time in Jerusalem, they counted a day from sundown to sundown. But the Jews from the north, where Jesus was from, they counted days from sunup to sunup. And if you just Google timeline of the last week, you will see these three timelines, how, how it would flow if we were using our 24-hour period of time. You know, midnight to midnight, how it worked if you used the southern Jews' way of doing it, how it worked if you used the northern Jews' way of doing it. And it is so, it's like, I'm not, I'm not good with those kinds of graphs and, and ways of looking at things. But I'll tell you this, because of the, just because of the difference between sundown to sundown and sunup to sunup, the northern Jews would end up celebrating Passover on a Thursday night. The southern Jews, it would be on Friday night. And they both felt like they were doing it the way they were supposed to be doing it. And so when Jesus celebrates the Passover on a Thursday night, he's doing it the way the northern Jews would do it. When the rest of them celebrate Passover on Friday night, they're doing it the way that the southern Jews would do it. And so I know it gets very confusing. But just kind of think about it, that, that it, it started on Sunday, and you're supposed to keep that lamb for almost a week. And then after that, it's time to sacrifice your lamb. And the evening before it gets dark. Now, New Testament writers talk about that day in the 33rd year, the last year of Jesus' life. And we call it Good Friday now. Um, when the rest of the nation of Israel was sacrificing their Passover lambs, Luke describes it like this in Luke 23, verse 44. By now it was noon. And darkness fell across the whole land for three hours until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the thick veil hanging in the temple split apart. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I commit my spirit to you. And with those words, he died. Now, you may be wondering, how do they know it was three o'clock exactly? You know, how, how, how do they know that? They didn't have watches, you know what I mean? They, didn't, they, didn't, they couldn't take out their phone and be like, okay, three o'clock. Well, what the Jewish people had decided... And the Jewish people being who they were, they wanted to, they had to have a rule for everything. If God didn't make a specification, then they would be like, well, here's the specification and everybody's going to follow it. They decided three o'clock. Three o'clock was a good time. You had time to sacrifice the animal. You had time to, to, you know, dress it out, skin it, and get it all ready for the meal. 
uh, and then you would be done before dark. There was no way that you could break the law by not being done before dark if you started at three. That three o'clock was the time of sacrifice. So at three o'clock, one of the priests would go to the top of the temple, which was at the top of the, the mountain in Jerusalem, and he would blow the shofar, the ram's horn. And you could hear it throughout the city of Jerusalem. You could hear it for miles outside the city of Jerusalem. And so the picture that Luke is painting is Jesus just outside the city walls is hanging on that cross and you hear the shofar blow. And at that moment he cries out, Father, I commit my spirit to you and he dies. It's like the uncanny timing. When the rest of the nation is sacrificing their Passover lambs, Jesus gives up his life and is sacrificed as the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. But that's not the final step of the Passover. The next step, step number three, is to remember the lamb. After they had sacrificed their animal, they would dress it out, they would clean it, they would, they would you know, carve out the steaks and the, the roasts and the chops and everything else that they needed, and then they would cook it and get ready to eat the Passover feast that night. In Exodus 12, verse 8, God says, that same night they must roast the meat over a fire and eat it along with bitter salad greens and bread made without yeast. Now, these are the bones of the Passover, okay? The, the lamb, the bitter salad greens, and the bread made without yeast. But over the years, it, the, the ritual grew, and the Jews added a bunch of things that reminded them specifically of different events during the Passover, things from Egypt, things that happened during the wanderings, all these different things. And so by the time you get to the first century, yeah, they did this, but there were other parts of the ritual that Jesus, as he went through that last supper, that last Passover meal with his friends, that, he, that as he was going through, he would stop at a couple of them and say, okay, this is going to be meaningful for you from this point forward. When, whenever you guys get together, I want you to do these things. And when you do, you remember me and you remember what I did. Now, they didn't understand it at that point, but they would, okay? Now, the Passover feast is, <laughs> the Jewish people, they are methodical, right? It is, it, it by that time become this ritual that had an order to it, right? As a matter of fact, the word Passover, cedar, if you've ever heard that, S-E-D-E-R. It's, it, you know, I always thought it just meant Passover service. And that is what it is, but cedar literally means order. So you know how it's like if you picked up one of the uh, uh, bulletins on the way in. On the front page, it has the, the order of songs we're going to sing. It's going to tell you when we get to the communion thought. And Janet's going to talk a little bit about communion. And then it's going to have the next song. And it's going to say we're going to have communion then. And then the kids charge. And then Pastor Ed will get up. And then there will be another song. You know what's coming next. Same thing with the Passover cedar. They had a ritualistic order that they went through. And all of these things were important to them. But they all knew by heart what was coming next. They had done it every year exactly the same way their entire lives. And so it would always start with, well, there were four cups of wine. Uh, if you've ever seen a picture of a Passover cedar, the host has these four cups sitting out in front of them. And uh, poor people didn't necessarily have four different cups, but they would fill up their cup four different times. The first cup was called the cup of sanctification. 
And sanctification, I always thought of it as being something like, you know, cleaning or, you know, that, that if you were sanctified, then you were clean somehow, which is sort of part of it. But more than that, the word sanctification means set apart for a reason. And so what they would do when they would drink that cup is they would remember that God saved them, but that he didn't save them just so that they could be saved, that he saved them for a reason. That they weren't to be the favorite people of God. They were supposed to be the chosen people of God through whom God would bless every other nation on earth by sending his Messiah. Now, by the first century, they'd forgotten that. Um, and so they, but they still would say the words. And so they would drink that first cup. They would eat some appetizers. And then they would come to what was called the bread of affliction. It was three pieces of matzah bread. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen matzah crackers. They're kind of about that big. They're square. They have little uh, like, like rows going down them and little holes poked in them. And what they would do is they would have three of those in a little pouch. And the host would pull the middle one out. And he would hold it up and he would break it in half. And he would take half of it and slide it back in between those two whole pieces that were still in that pouch. And then he would take that broken off piece, it was called the afikomen, which means treat or dessert. And he would hide that, which literally in Hebrew, the word for hide is bury. He would bury that broken piece of bread while everybody closed their eyes. And then later on in the meal, the kids would go looking for it. And whoever found that, that, that broken piece of bread that had been buried, that kid got some kind of a prize, you know, some kind of a, uh, of a, of a treat. But the Jewish people to this day don't know where that tradition got started. It goes back to hundreds of years at least before Jesus was on this earth. And nobody knows for sure why a broken piece of bread gets buried and found later. But Jesus is doing this as he goes through the Lord's Supper. Everybody is used to it. They just don't know what it's, the fulfillment of that is going to be. And then the host is supposed to hold up those two and a half pieces that are left and say, this is the bread of our affliction, of all the Jewish people's affliction. And everybody would remember then as they ate that bread, which was very bland and very plain, sort of the hard times they went through in Israel. That's what the host is supposed to say. But on this day, Jesus changes it up. You find it in Luke 22, verse 19. Taking the bread, he blessed it. He broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Eat it in my memory. And I guarantee you, everybody's awake now. Right? Have you ever got, been at, a, at an event or been doing something that you've done so often that you, just, you don't even really have to think about it? You're just kind of like, mm, okay. And, you know, and, and I mean, you're kind of experiencing it. You're, you're aware of what's going on, but you're not really thinking about it too deeply. It's like these guys have done this every year of their lives. And they've probably done it three times with Jesus now. This is the only one that we read about. And Jesus is supposed to say, this is the bread of our affliction. Instead, he says, this is my body. And everybody had to be going, what did he say? Did he say that was his body? What's the, where's the bread of our affliction? What does he mean, my body? What's, it's like, the best way I can think of to explain it is like, if you've ever been involved in a knock-knock joke that went wrong, Right? It's like there's a social convention to, 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 to knock-knock jokes, sort of like entering into a social contract. We all know what it's supposed to do, right? I say knock-knock, you say who's there, I say, you know, and we know how it's supposed to go. If it goes wrong, it's jarring, right? It wakes us up. Let's watch this. 
Knock, knock. <sighs> Who's there? Buddha. Buddha who? Buddha the spread for me, won't you? <laughs> <laughs> Great. I, I need something to wipe my hand. No, there's, there's butter that on my desk. Melting. It was a classic. I got a knock-knock joke. No. Okay. God. Michael, please, 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 please. Please let me. All right. <clears throat> knock, knock. Who's there? KGB. KGB. Leave her off the question. What the? What's that? What are you doing? What are you what doing? Are you? Hey, hey. Stop it. Stop it. Hey, hey, come on. What are you doing? That is part of a hilarious joke. My own retribution. What are you doing? No more knock-knock jokes. That's it. Ding dong. Who's that? KGB. Try to get the door. I'm not answering. Answer Ding dong. No way. You took KGB. Ding dong. I'm not answering that. Yes, you're going you to answer it. I'm not going to answer it. It's the KGB. The KGB, we've been on. It's true. You can't argue with that logic. And that's sort of, sort of, what they're going through, right? They're expecting him to say, bread of, my, of our affliction. All of a sudden, he's like, this is my body. What is he talking about? They'd understand it a little bit later. Now, he would have gone on then. There would have been a second cup, the, the cup of plagues. And Jesus sort of gets back into the way things are supposed to be. The cup of plagues reminds them of the plagues that God uh, visited upon uh, Egypt in order to, to bring the people of Israel out. They would have dipped their pinky in the wine, and they would have dropped ten drops on their placemats in front of them to remind them of those plagues. They would have then eaten the main course. And then they would have gotten to the third cup. This one was called the cup of redemption. This one was the cup that reminded them of the Passover lamb. The lamb who was sacrificed for them. The lamb who, because of its blood, they were spared. Because of its blood, they found redemption and salvation and freedom. And Jesus gets to that cup. He's supposed to hold it up and say, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who gave us the Passover lamb through who we found freedom and redemption. And Jesus holds up that cup on this day. In Luke 22, verse 20, the Bible says he did the same with the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant written in my blood. Blood poured out for you. And everybody would have been saying, what is he talking about? What does he mean, his blood? That's... That's the blood, that, that's the cup that reminds us of the Passover lamb. What does he mean that this cup is poured out for us? That this is the new covenant? That, this is, that, that, is, that his body is going to be broken for us? That his blood is going to be spilled for us? Jesus doesn't explain it really. He just keeps, he hands them the cup. If you watch the video that we were just watching, they do a really good job, I think, of showing how these guys are like, they're taking the cup and they're like, okay, I'll drink it. But I, I don't know, I, what is going on here, you know? And then Jesus just went back into the rest of the Passover feast. If you read the rest of uh, the book of Luke, it says that they, they drank another cup of wine, which was the cup of, of, of praise. It is the, the, the halal cup, the, the hallelujah cup. And they sang a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives, where Jesus was arrested, he was taken to be tried, he was convicted, he was executed. And the next night, as everybody was finishing their Passover meal, Jesus' body was in a tomb. But that wasn't the end of the Passover story for Jesus. Everybody thought it was. They thought that was the end, but it wasn't. 
And it really wasn't the end of the celebrations for the Jewish people. What would happen after the Passover feast was done on Friday night is they would have what was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. All they would eat is those, those stale crackers for the rest of Friday night, all day Saturday, and then into Sunday morning. And on daybreak, on Sunday morning, they had what was called, they started the Feast of First Fruits. This, was a, this went on for weeks, the, the Feast of First Fruits. And the Feast of First Fruits was something that the Israelites celebrated. They had already planted their, their, you know, their grain for the year. It had already started to grow by this time. And it wasn't ready to harvest, but the fact that it was growing was like a sign that there would be life that there would be a future, that grain was coming. And so what they would do is they would chop off a few of these stalks of wheat, and on Sunday morning at daybreak, the people of God would take these stalks of wheat and they would wave them above their heads and they would dance in their homes and sing songs of praise to God, not for this stalk of wheat itself, but for what that stalk of wheat represented, the future that they knew would come because of that, that stalk of wheat. On the 33rd year of Jesus' life, on the first day of the week, the, the day of the Feast of First Fruits, while the people of God danced and waved those grains above their head, the Bible says that the resurrection occurred, and that Jesus came out of that tomb with power and majesty and proved himself to be completely in control of hell and death and the grave. In fact, he didn't even have to have the stone rolled away. If you read, read the Bible carefully, you will see that when the angel comes and rolls the stone away, Jesus is already gone. The angel rolls the stone away, not so Jesus can get out, but so that we can see that it's empty. And what Paul says about that is that the resurrection, well, look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. Paul says, now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep. In other words, Jesus' resurrection, Easter isn't just about celebrating his resurrection. I mean, it is about that, right? And that's awesome. It's the most amazing story that has ever been told. It puts the story of the Exodus to, to shame, right? It leaves it in the dust. Most amazing story that has ever been told. But this day is not just about Jesus' resurrection. Now, because of that, Jesus' resurrection is a sign, it's a promise that there is life ahead, that there is, that even beyond the grave, that it will not have the final word in our lives, that he is just the first fruits of the resurrection, and that there is a day coming when he will return again. Now, I told you that there were 13 feasts of the Jews and that Jesus fulfilled all but one of them. That one that he did not fulfill happens in the fall. And it's called the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, or I guess you could call it the Feast of Tents. Uh, basically, it was when they would, the Israelites would camp out for a few days, and they would remember when they were wandering in the desert, and God actually dwelled among them. He had his own tent in the center of the camp, and God literally lived among the, the Israelites. And so they remembered that, and they looked forward to when it would happen again. The writers of the New Testament call the day when that will be fulfilled, they call that the second coming of Jesus. 
And in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3 through 5, the Apostle John gets a, a glimpse of this. And he says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people and he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. The resurrection is a guarantee of that day actually happening. Now, every other feast that Jesus fulfilled, he fulfilled on the day that the Jews celebrated it. Now, Jesus himself says, we don't know the day or the hour when he is going to return. But if he follows his pattern, and I don't see any reason why he won't, then that day will happen sometime in the fall, sometime around late September, early October. Uh, kind of depends on how the Jewish calendar and our calendar line up. I'm not making a bold prediction or anything, okay? But I am saying every time we get to the fall, I always start looking around, huh, I wonder if this will be the time. I wonder, you know, I mean, I don't know. I don't know, but it could be. If you're going to understand the Passover, you follow the Passover lamb. If you're going to understand Easter, you follow Jesus, the Passover lamb. If you're going to get to this place where that last feast is fulfilled and you are part of what is made new you follow the lamb it is as simple as that it doesn't get any simpler so let's follow the lamb let's pray lord we are so grateful that you did not stay dead we are so grateful for this almost uncanny way that you fulfilled these things without even seeming to think about it and as we look back at it now we are blown away and so, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for the fact that the resurrection wasn't the end of the story either, but that we can look forward to our own resurrection because of yours. And so, Lord, get us to that day. And as we move towards it, help us to every day live our lives and become a little bit more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.